We're talking about giving all month long here at Tallgrass at the Well. You guys excited? March gladness. Someone say it's madness to talk about giving for a whole month. Madness, get it? It's a joke. It's a little early. Okay, so last week, Pastor Josh talked about what Jesus said about giving. He's talked a lot about giving. Jesus talked a lot about giving, more than heaven and hell and all sorts of things combined. He talked a lot about money. And he made a compelling case, Josh did last week, that the tithe is still in effect today. However, today, we're going to look at what Paul said about giving. And Paul uh, wrote and lived and followed Christ after the cross. So we're going to learn about what transpired in, the, in the, the early church and how they thought about giving and where motivation for sacrificial generosity came from. So we're going to open the scriptures to the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And so if you like having a hard copy open in front of you, that's great. You're kind of old school. We need more of that. If you need to flip open your phone and, and pull it up, you can do that. I'll have most of the passages up here as well. So in our passage today, this is Paul is going to challenge a wealthy church, the church in Corinth, uh, to follow through with their good intentions of giving. They talk about, yeah, we, we love the gospel, we love the cross, it's all great, so we're gonna be generous. And so he is going to challenge them to excel in sacrificial generosity. And in fact, as you'll see, he, he actually kind of challenges them through shaming them by, now no shame around here, but you'll see what he does. He compares them to this poor church, the Macedonian church. Uh, who had become rock star givers. So Paul's going to show us that it's actually the cross, not the law, that is our standard for giving, which can take us so much further than the law could ever dream of taking us. So let's open up 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, we'll start with verses 1 to 6. It says this. This is Paul speaking to the, the church in Corinth. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Let me tell you about the Macedonians. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Something was motivating them. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of, of giving to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Let's pray one more time. Father, thanks for the morning. Thank you for this example of the Macedonian church and the challenge to the church in Corinth. Thank you for the wealth that we have in this room, not only financial wealth, but just the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. I pray that that would uh, result uh, in us excelling in the act of giving as a church and that you would do more than we could ask or imagine uh, in and through us for the good of our, our community and beyond and even our own hearts and our own joy. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so, so this, this Macedonian church, let's think about these Macedonian believers. Their problem is that they are trying to give too much. 
They're begging Paul, tell us, how can we give more? Tell us about you know, the meal train we can sign up for. Tell, where's the baby shower that we can give gifts at? Where, where's the need we want to give? So I've called this the Macedonian formula. It starts with severe trial, very severe trial in their case. So maybe you think about your own life. What are the trials you face, the challenges, the difficulties? Maybe you can list some things. Extreme poverty, that was in their mix. Now, uh, probably some of us feel somewhat poor, but chances are likely if you're in this room or you're hearing my voice, you're not dealing with extreme poverty. Actually, I, I did a little digging. The median income for Manhattan, Kansas, for a family of four is $50,537. Um, so you, kinda, you can go actually to uh, just Google search, how rich am I? And there's this website called givingwhatwecan.org, and it has a little calculator. You can put in your, your income and the numbers in your family, and it'll spit out to you your relative wealth to the rest of the world. So if you're in Manhattan, Kansas, you make just over 50K a year and your family of four, you are in the 10.4% top wealthiest people in the world. And that's adjusted for all the things. In fact, if you give 10% on that, you're still in the top 12%. So you can kind of adjust accordingly and check that out. So, but the Macedonians, they were in extreme poverty. And some of you have seen extreme poverty if you've traveled to some third world countries and things like that. Um, so, but that's what they had, very severe trial, extreme poverty. You throw in a little grace of God. Somehow they were gripped by the grace of God, important part of this equation, and they were overflowing with joy. They had overflowing joy. And that equaled rich generosity. That is the, that is the, the formula for generosity. So the question for us is how does a community of believers like the church in Corinth, or, or maybe like us. We're probably more like the church in Corinth. Uh, we're probably on the wealthier side of things as, it, as we compare it globally. How do we become like these Macedonian believers in their zeal to give? Sacrificial generosity. Well, Paul's gonna tell us. So he goes on to this church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you. And I think we have those things, or at least the seeds and beginning of those things. In fact, when Dylan and Crystal stood up here and you stood and that standing ovation went, I, I felt the love that is, is, is our church and that is growing. Paul says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, as we've seen in the Macedonian church. So the question is, how is Paul going to motivate them to excel in rich generosity? So if you're following along, you can read on. He says, I command you to tithe. Remember the Old Testament? Let's tithe, guys. No, that is not what he says. By the time uh, Paul is writing... The, the law just pales in comparison to the, to the access, the motivation we have to follow in the way of Jesus. He, he, hardly, he never appeals to the Old Testament law to motivate the God's people 
uh, into the way of Jesus, listen to what he says. He specifically says, I am not commanding you. I am not commanding you. See that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And here is the key couple or key verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So the cross, Christ became poor. Christ left all behind, died on the cross, gave it all up so we could be rich. That is the motivation to excel in this grace of giving. So I, I like this. Uh, if, if, you, if you write notes, if you take notes, um, just draw three concentric circles on your, on your sheet of paper. Um, I call this the gospel circles. So in the, in the center is the gospel. So this is Christ died for our sins. You know, and then he rose again. Christ rose from the dead. So the, the, the gospel, that's, that's the center. That's the flywheel that gets all of our life moving in the way of Jesus. And from this gospel center, this gospel truth, flow, or gospel center, flow gospel truths Things that are true because Christ died for our sins. So one truth is, I am now a child of God. That's a gospel truth. And then from the gospel and the gospel truths, then comes our gospel conduct or behavior. Because Christ died for my sins and these things are true, this is how I should live. This is how I should follow in the way of Jesus. So let's see how this plays out in our passage. So you might look at this, you're like, oh, where's the gospel here? I don't, I don't see the gospel. I see the gospel right there. Yet for your sake, he became poor. Jesus, insanely rich. He created the whole thing. He owns it. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills or all the, uh, all the things that Josh re- referenced last week. He is wealthy beyond belief. Yet for your sake, He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. We read in Philippians 2, he made himself nothing. He laid it down and he humbled himself. He didn't have a a dollar to his name when he died. He didn't even have a tomb to his name when he died. He laid it all bare. That is the gospel for your sake. So an action step here is, first of all, if you've not come to terms with the gospel, that Christ has done for you what you could never do for yourself, you need to to take that initial step to be gripped by the grace of God. Come into relationship with God. Respond to the sacrificial generosity of Jesus on the cross. The cool thing about Jesus is he came to fulfill the law. He doesn't nullify the law, but he goes so far beyond the law. And then he, he calls us, come on, follow me. Follow me, this is where I'm headed. And out of this gospel, in this passage, comes this gospel truth. So that Jesus became poor, aka lived his life, died the death he died, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And the Corinthian believers, they're like, yeah, we're wealthy financially, but it's not 
that. It's spiritual blessings. We are wealthy in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We receive inheritance because of the gospel. So that is the gospel truth that flows from the gospel. And then finally, here is the conduct. See that you also excel in this, uh, act, this grace of giving. So that is the conduct that flows from the gospel, from the gospel truth of your wealth. Give, excel, sacrificial generosity, keep going. So we might ask ourselves, how far does grace take us? Well, that's the thing about grace. It can take you so far, so much further than, than the law could ever dream about. So here, pop quiz. Let me, let me test to see how we're doing. Would you expect that those on this side of the cross, like us, who happen to live in the most affluent society in history, would give A, less than, B, the same as, or C, more than the Israelites were commanded to give? Just think about that. We have all of this salvation history in view. We know the truth of the cross, the gospel, and we happen to be in the most affluent society ever. And we're, we're wrestling to try to get to that 10% law, which we, we learned last week wasn't even the full percentage that the, the Jews were, were to give. So we've got all the motivation in the world to excel in this act of grace, and we also have the means to do it as, as uh, most of us in this room. So, um, so let's, let's think a little bit here about law versus grace. I'm going to kind of keep belaboring this point a little bit. Um, okay, so law, law has some benefits uh, there, there are some good things. So we're talking about March Gladness here, or March Madness. If you were to, if you were to have law as one team and grace as the other team, you go to head-to-head. Let's think about how those teams match up. So law kind of gives you a quick start, right? A little bit of uh, law and, 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 and uh, guilt, a little bit of guilt and shame kind of gets you going quickly. So it's kind of quick stor- scoring. Maybe comes out first quarter is really good. Law makes you feel good if you're doing well compared to the person next to you based on your own sets of rules, right? So the Pharisees, they were, they were following their own law that they had kind of made up. They'd totally gotten away from the, the, the heart of God and the law. And why did Jesus flip over all these tables and why was he so upset in the temple? Because they, they were sitting on piles of wealth, but yet in their own hearts and minds, they felt justified. So law can make you feel pretty good if you're doing okay compared to the person next to you based on your own arbitrary sets of rules. However, law, it it tends to lead to external showiness where you kind of have something to show, um, but cutting corners whenever and wherever you can. It's kind of like giving, uh, like paying your taxes, right? Uh, Who's gonna pay extra taxes because you're so motivated by the generosity and graciousness of, no. You are looking for every tax, and a lot of people, they're committing tax fraud and trying to not get, get caught, and they don't care about that. It's, that is law. That is law motivation. That's law giving. Um, law is just paying someone back when you owe them some money. I, I, I'm still on a family plan, plan uh, for our, 
our phone bill. My dad sends me the bill each month. It's like 142.95. That's just logging. I just pay him back exactly that price. Not a cent more, not a cent less. And that, that's great. That's law giving. Um, it leads to giving the minimum just to get the monkey off your back, the monkey of guilt or shame. Well, as grace, think about grace as a motivator. It's extravagant. It's looking for opportunities to bless. It's asking. I, I missed it. When's that baby shower? When's that, where's that meal train? How can I give? What is the need? What's the need of the organization, of the church, of this family? Uh, grace is, is the way that Maris and I have experienced from some particular friends of ours where they have been so generous to us and we can't even begin to think about how to repay them. It's just far above and beyond. Okay, so the cross is the giving standard. It, it, it actually has the, the, the power, the ability, once we get gripped by the gospel and the gospel truths to really motivate us to, to move uh, towards sacrificial generosity. Now, I just want to take a moment to think about our church. And I've called this slide, We Are Hustling. We Are Hustling. And this actually should be an encouragement to you all. Remember those 50, uh, 2023 numbers from uh, uh, median income in Manhattan? 50,537 for a family of four. Um, let's see, what do we have here? So there, there it is. So um, we as a church, we have specific challenges we're facing, right? We're a transient demographic here in Manhattan, Kansas. Lots of young families with lots of kids. Childcare is expensive. We're leasing space in the heart of Manhattan. That's not cheap. We have a favorable lease. This COVID thing, I mean, it continues, you know, it, it impacts things. Uh, inflation, like we're feeling the squeeze. We face specific challenges as a church family. And through this, this uh, transition, we're committed to some things. We want to keep our team together, as uh, Lord willing, as we can. We have visions uh, for the future, and we're going to keep digging into that through this revisioning. So let's think a little more about our church. So our directory has 25 family units in it. So if you're not in that directory yet, just scan the, the, the code. Get in our directory. We'd love to see those faces. I flip through. I like to pray for people. It's a good way to put names with faces. So that's our potential uh, earning if we're at the median level, you know. So 10% of that um, is 126000 right? So if we throw in the 15 families or so, that, at least that I've kind of counted up that aren't yet in the directory, of course, we invite you into the directory. Um, that's the potential earning right there. 10% of that's right about there. And according to, to uh, Pastor Dave, who is our treasurer, and he'll, he'll probably follow up next week with all sorts of numbers for you guys. So I'm just kind of wetting the appetite a little bit. This is what we need on average to reach our, our 2022 budget that's here, okay? Look at this. Boom, January giving was right around 16,000. We are almost at the Old Testament uh, requirements of 10% as a church. You can celebrate that. that that's actually cool. It's maybe the people that are actually giving are clapping. And some people are like, oh, I'm actually the, uh, the uh, standard um, um, family that, where am I? Okay, I'm gonna get to that. Okay. All right, no, this is good. This is good. We're in a good, we're, we already have this culture of giving that's at least beginning in our church. 
we're, gonna, we're continuing to hustle. Let's look at this. We ended the last year with a start strong kind of fund and an excess of $7,200 came in. That's good. That came from somewhere. Some of it was outside giving. Some of it was in, inside giving. Uh, we're having this March Madness drive to replace carpet, all these things. And actually, we have uh, Misty Lemoyne and Lynn Salisbury dreaming up an online auction and then a yard sale to help that. They're hustling on behalf of the church. They're trying to move some things. So start getting your junk out of the closets and all the, all the storage units and everything. And, and uh, let's, let's uh, replace that for kingdom stuff, right? We're working towards... Um, 50K this year from the Wesleyan District, a couple other generous churches. We're trying to hustle. We're trying to do what we can. Uh, Dave, Josh, and I have all gone from full-time down to part-time about 30 hours and picking up extra hours elsewhere. We, we want this to work. We want this to grow. We want it to do good things. You all have, have provided meal upon meal, shown up at shower after shower. You guys are hustling. Um, we're doing great. We're hustling, church fam. It's really amazing, especially if you compare it to American church giving stats. So this is where some of you might be like, well, I'm, I'm the statistic. Well, you don't have to be. <laughs> you can take a step, right? So check this out. This is from uh, the book, Passing the Plate. More than one out of every uh, four American Protestants give away no money at all. They're just like, nope. I mean, I get the gospel, it's awesome, it's cool, but nothing for me, right? I earned it, it's mine. Um, median annual giving for an American Christian is actually $200, just over half a percent of after-tax income. That's pretty low. Again, for the most affluent society ever, looking back and seeing the, the goodness of God through the cross. Check out this stat. About 5% of American Christians provide 60% of the money churches and religious groups use to operate. And, and uh, that, that has been true of, our, of uh, at least Tallgrass Church over the years. And so it's, it's really this small group that skew that average. So I, I don't know all the numbers. Dave's the only one who knows who gives what. But, and maybe next week he'll follow up with some more hard data for our church but I would guess that's the case in our church as well, meaning there are lots of people who, who haven't even begun to uh, take a step to excel in the grace of giving. Last little stat. Americans who earned less than $10,000 gave 2.3% of their income to religious organizations, whereas those who earned 70 k or more gave only 1.2%. And Josh hit this last week too. We've got to begin the practice of giving and following the way of Jesus with our finances, even when we don't have much. Because statistically speaking, you're not gonna start giving more uh, the more you make. So I want Tallgrass at the church or at the well to hear, we're hustling, we're doing great. We've got a great start to this. And I think Paul would say, yes, now excel in the act of this act of giving as well. Few practical words for us. I want to encourage us sick giving. And yes, I'll hear from Henry how cheesy that was later. I just can't get away from the cheesiness. So the scriptures teach us to give sacrificially, to give intentionally, to give cheerfully, and kingdomly. I had to throw that one on there to make it sick giving. 
All right, so he says, I testify. This is Paul. We already read this. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond, even beyond their ability. So God calls us to sacrifice on what we have, not what we don't have. So think about this 10%. Think about 10%. A family of four making 50K, if they give 10%, they live off of how much? $45,000 a year, right? Think about a similar family of four that makes $100,000 a year. They give 10% away, they live off of 90,000, right? Twice as much as this other family. So they're not really giving as they're able, certainly not above their ability. So what would it look like to consider uh, church fam, most of us Americans, most of us have some money in the bank, to work towards a graduated tithe. The more you make, the higher percentage you give. How cool would it be if that family of four making 100,000, and this is, this is crazy, gave away 50% and lives off of 50,000, still living off of more of the fam- than the family of, of four. Now that's crazy talk, that's crazy talk. But there are stories out there, there are people out there who are making these types of commitments and, uh, before God and man and, and moving that direction, and that's great. Again, Jesus gave sacrificially. Next, give intentionally. So this is from the next chapter over, 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 5 to 7, where Paul says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So Paul is actually telling us that spontaneous and sporadic giving is not really the the way to go. Um, Well, I I should say spontaneous and sporadic tend to go together. If we're just giving spontaneously or when when the band hits the right note and there's the emotional pull, and he's like, I'm gonna give everything in my wallet. And you're like, it was only a $20 bill, great. You know, we're we're off free today, but you gave, right? Actually, Paul is encouraging us towards intentionality. Think about it. Be intentional, and then when things are right, we'll come and, and pick it up, right? Um, and I want you to check out one more passage related to this intentionality that the New Testament uh, calls us to in our giving. Again, this is Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, writing to the same church, but beforehand. So, so notice the intentionality in his checks and balances and his safeguards, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. The first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Again, not appealing to the tithe here, but as you're able and sacrificially saving it up so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Meaning Paul doesn't want to have to come and throw a big tent revival and pound on the pulpit and pass the plate 15 times. He wants people to, to... intentionally think about the cross and and move towards the way of Jesus. And he says, then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men who approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So there's checks and balances. Again, we have checks and balances in place um, here. Our books are wide open. We want to be uh, good financial stewards of the funds. So organizational and orderly arrangements, deliberate intentionality lead to success and reduced pressure in the local church. 
And I, I, we're, we're in a great spot with that. Um, so, you know, one way to be in, through this March, March gladness time, I, I'd encourage each family, individual, take some time to really think about the wealth that you have and what God may be leading to you to. Again, Jesus gave intentionally. And then cheerfully, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, the question comes, does the cheerfulness come before or after you give? A lot of people are just like, I just, I just don't want to give. I'm not happy about giving, so they spend their whole life just not giving. Like, well, if you wait around to become happy to give, it's not going to happen. You've got to start taking those steps. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want your heart to go somewhere, begin investing in that place. Yeah. So sometimes we think, you know, I'm going to put my money where my heart's going. But Jesus says, put your money somewhere, there your heart will go. So if you want your heart to be for international students, invest in helping international students. You know, for the, the marginalized in our community, invest in Shepherd's Crossing or be able. Then all of a sudden your heart will follow. Um, so Jesus gave cheerfully as well. You know, for the joy that was set before him, he laid down his life. Paul always pointing us uh, in the way of Jesus. So in his uh, last words to the church in Ephesus, he, he shared with them, you know, he's remembering the words of Jesus. He says, remember Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, more happy to give than receive. And then finally, give kingdomly. So what kind of church can we be together Let's think about this. Let's dream about this. As we enter this revisioning, uh, continue this revisioning process, what kind of church can we be together if we follow the sacrificially generous way of Jesus? Lord willing, we can create space here, downtown MHK, for those who feel forgotten and unimportant, no matter what baggage they bring through those doors. Lord willing, we can create space across Manhattan and the surrounding area in homes, in your homes, in coffee shops, in breweries, where people can gather and explore their faith, no matter how unlikely they'd be to step foot in a church building. By the way, this is not a church building. This is simply a space we've leased to do kingdom work from, right? Lord willing, we can create space for emotionally healthy discipleship to happen, no matter how immature and spiritually anemic people are when they show up and how much church hurt and cynicism we ourselves may still have. Lord willing, we can create space for people to find their way back to God, no matter how far they've run from him. Lord willing, we can create space for women to lead in the church, no matter how much they've been told they can't in the past. Lord willing, we can create space for people to move towards sexual health through programs like Pure Desire, no matter how unhealthy they've become. Lord willing, we can be the church that invests in other organizations locally, regionally, and across the globe like Orphan Helpers, Life Choice Ministries, helping international students be able 
Habitat for Humanity, throw that in there. Lord willing, we can be the church that has neighboring funds set aside to come alongside you as you love your neighbor when they're down on their luck. Lord willing, we can be the church that initiates new kingdom endeavors like business incubators. What does that mean? I don't know. We'll figure that out. We want to, we want to uh, invest in our community, providing childcare facilities, may, maybe coffee shop, any number of things we can dream up because we are investing sacrificially. Lord willing, Father, we can see your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is in heaven. So friends, I think we can, we can do that. We can move that direction and so much more. So I'm gonna invite the band on up and just the, the action steps for you to consider um, how can you move this direction to give sacrificially, to give intentionally, to give cheerfully, to give kingdomly? A few reflection questions uh, between you and Jesus, and these are worded as if you would ask these of Jesus. And so as the band com- comes up, uh, we can spend some time just in prayer, in conversation with Jesus. So if you, if you want to jot these down or just, just read them, so we might ask, Jesus, you know, what does the way that I handle money say about how I view you and I view your grace? Jesus, help me to be gripped by your uh, gospel so that when I see my, see my money, uh, I know what to do with it. Or Jesus, is the fact that you've entrusted me with so many resources, is that an indication that you want me to excel in this act of giving? Have you blessed me so that I can experience the joy of giving rather than receiving? And Jesus, in light of the cross, do you want me to to go against the grain of my culture and consider setting a basic level of income and getting that specific and then giving generously above and beyond that? Father, I thank you for um, the generosity of this, this church, this, this small church family, and for where we're at, the, 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 the place we're at literally here in the heart of town, and those who are online as well. I thank you for the generosity of many in this room who are uh, make what we're doing possible, and I thank you for um, the cross as a motivation for our lives. I pray that you'd help us to experience the joy of giving, to experience that is more blessed to give than to receive. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the cross. I pray for any here who are even just asking questions about Jesus. Maybe they're just hearing this stuff. It kind of sounds radical, but yet intriguing. Maybe there's a realization that, yeah, just sitting on a bunch of stuff, we didn't even talk about all the stuff that Americans have. It's not, it's not the path of joy. And I pray that people would take that risk to cry out to you and ask, are you real? Is the gospel real? Worst thing that can happen is just to hear silence. But maybe you would speak. Maybe you would open hearts, open eyes. So, Father, pray for our, our church. May we excel in the act of generosity. Love you, in Christ's name.
Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.